We're going to look at uh, the last section of 1 Timothy this morning, chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. And as I was reading them, and I've been reading them over and over again, as Sean has gone through 1 Timothy, I've made that my morning devotion. And as I've read through chapter 6, every six days actually, uh, I have just come to see that Paul is, is being very intentional in these last, um, these last chapters, or last verses, I'm sorry. And I guess you can imagine yourself if you were going to send a letter to someone, well, what would the end of the letter be like? What would, what would you say to this individual at the end of the letter? And, and this is kind of what Paul is, is going after here. He's writing to uh, a co-laborer. He's writing to someone he considers a son in the faith. He knows the, the place that Timothy is at in Ephesus. And we've walked through Timothy and seen some of the things that have been important that Paul wanted to share with his, his young protege, Timothy. And what I see and as we close out in these 10 verses, 11 verses, is one where um, I would call it a long obedience in the same direction. That's what I, would, I was thinking of. It. There's a Eugene Peterson book uh, that came out about 20 years ago, and that was the title of it, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I think this is what Paul is, is driving at in these last 10, 11 verses, is he's just using some very pointed and very uh, adamant language, uh, very clear communication to say, look, this is, a, this is a marathon. We know that our Christian walk is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so here, uh, Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. And I just love that term. So as we walk through these verses, you'll see a long obedience in the same, in the same direction. Now, when you think about that, all of us have long obediences in our lives, whether it be our spiritual walk or our, our finances or our jobs or our health. I know for myself, when I was about 35, I hadn't worked out in quite a while, and somebody asked me to help them move their, their home. They were moving from one home to the next, and I jumped in, and I'll tell you what, I was so sore after that. I was sore for a week, and that was a, a wake-up call for me that I needed to start getting back in shape, and so that's been the long obedience for me has been, I don't know what that is, uh, 35 to 61. That's multiple decades that I've just consistently um, worked out. Same thing when we turned, we got into our mid-50s, Greta and I decided that for the benefit of our health, we were going to go to a more plant-based diet. And so we've been moving in that direction. In fact, this morning, I have some fun things for you on the screen. This is our slash breakfast uh, lunch. On the left-hand side, you can see the ingredients. There's a banana there. That's the perk. The banana, there's celery and uh, kale, mixed greens, no arugula. Ooh, just tastes nasty when it's, when it's spun up. Uh, so there's, all, there's all, all, all kinds of oil in there. And then on the right-hand side, that's what it looks like when you throw it back in the morning. So... So what I've done to bless you all is Ruthie and, and uh, <laughs> no bratwurst this morning. I've liberated you from bratwurst free lunch today. You don't have to eat bratwurst. I, Greta and I have made enough for 100 people. So thank you. You're going to love it. You're just going to love it. Okay. <laughs> uh, clear, that's one way to clear the room, huh? Okay, so this long obedience in the same direction. Let's look at two verses just to put this in perspective. The first verse, verses are Philippians 3, where Paul is going to really uh, typify a long obedience in the same direction. Here's the verse on the screen. Look at this long obedience. What does Paul say? Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may hold, lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but the one thing I do, okay, one thing, Paul, what is it? 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a man who is intent about his Christian walk. He's intent about honoring God, and he is playing the long game. This is a long obedience in the same direction. Now, if we ended it there, then who, who is... Uh, Who's responsible for doing all this? Who's responsible to be a Christian, to live a, a holy life, live a life that is aimed towards pleasing God and having communion with God? Well, if we ended it here, it sounds like Paul's completely in control. And that's not at all what the Christian message is. Now, we do have a responsibility to yield to the power of the Spirit and to allow the position that we have. We're born-again Christians and let our experience conform to our position. And what, what that means is that God's spirit works through us. As we are taken from spiritual death to spiritual life when we're born again, then God plants that seed of the Holy Spirit in us and regenerates us. And now we just allow the presence and the power of the spirit to continue to filter both in and through our lives. And Paul says this in Colossians 3. I have another set of verses for you where Paul simply says in Colossians 3, he says, if then you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. And then here's the key phrase. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ, hidden with Christ in God. Paul says here, you have a new nature. You've been given a new spirit. You are a new creation in Christ. And now that new creation, that new spirit, that spiritual awakening should now begin to filter through your lives. Now, the responsibility we have is to allow it, to turn away from the things that we know are sinful and to turn towards the things that we know are righteous. And in the middle of that action, that responsibility we have, God in Ephesians 4.21 says, he renews the spirit of our mind. And so the lovely thing about Christianity is that you're not responsible for doing it. You're responsible for yielding to your God and Savior. No other religion in the world can claim this. Every other religion is about works. Christianity is about grace. Not what we do for God, but what God has done for us. And so that's just a little bit of an outline as we move into what I consider is some very strong language that Paul's using. And strong not to, not to uh, insult Timothy or to uh, call him down, but just basically saying we're all in this together. This is a war. We're all in this together, and we need to be marathoners. Let's take a look at the first couple of verses in 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12. Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, but you, O man of God, <clears throat> flee these things. There's word number one, flee these things. Word number two is pursue. Pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Key word number three, fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Key word number four, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, we will be able to see that actually in the flesh in a couple of weeks. There are several people in the church that want to get baptized on Sunday, June the 11th. And if you still would like to be uh, baptized, you can talk to, to Sean at your leisure. But it will be a good confession that will be uh, on display in front of many witnesses. Uh, that's what a baptism is. It's an outward profession of an inward confession. And so we'll see that on, on June the 11th. But the four words here that Paul is using that, I, again, I think are just really uh, like well-driven nails at this point. Firstly, he says, flee. Now, the verb tense here is, it's called the present imperative, which means make it a habit. 
make this a habit. Make this idea of fleeing youthful lusts your, your habit in life. It's habitual. Uh, what is, what is um, um, Timothy being encouraged to flee? Well, based on the, the, the context of 1 Timothy and reading through it, I see that he's being encouraged to flee from impure doctrine. He's being encouraged to flee from impure teachers. And he's being encouraged to flee from impure habits. And so what we know is sin. What we know is not of God. We don't want to dabble in it. We don't want to set it aside. We don't want to save it on our hard drive. We don't want to save the link. We just want to, boom, cut it off. And God gives us the power and the ability to do that. Temptation can be strong sometimes, but God's regenerative power is stronger than the temptation of the flesh. And so here he says, flee. And then again, in the present imperative, he offers us another habit. He says, pursue. Pursue the Greek word. Actually, I looked it up, and it's almost like a lust for these things. Uh, and I know lust has a negative connotation in our society, but just like this, this, this um, singular vision that this is what you want to do. You want to pursue righteousness. What does he say? Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And this is important to, to, to Paul to communicate to Timothy because he says it again, almost word for word in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. It's on the screen. Look how, how similar it is. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And so you have two clear directions here, two very well-driven nails. Flee this and pursue this. Here, Paul, at the end of his letter, is encouraging. If I could tell you one thing, these are, these are the important things. Uh, I've been through so much doctrine and so many poor teachers who have led to such poor moral behavior. And here I'm telling you right now, that this is one of the, the quickest ways that you can, you can dispel with that. Flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness. And then he, he offers another uh, pair of, of strong words. He says, fight. He says, fight the good fight. This is a, a sports metaphor here. Now, I know some of us are in the middle of baseball season, for better or for worse, if you're a Padre fan. Um, they have the lowest team batting average in the league. I didn't say that. But um, the NBA playoffs are at are right now. I think there's, is there maybe four teams left? There's two teams left on the way. Three, yeah, Boston and, and Miami are still playing for the last spot. And so there's an intensity level there in those games. And then Greta and I, our favorite is the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, and they're down, to, they're down to three teams right now, same thing. But the, the, what I've witnessed in this, this tournament, the Stanley Cup tournament, is really whoever wants it more, and I think we know this about sports, whoever wants it more, who's ever, who's ever willing to fight the hardest and the longest, is going to win. Talent's one thing and strategy is another, but heart is something usually that carries uh, at the end of the day. And so here, this is what Paul is saying. He's using a sports metaphor from the first century, Greco-Roman culture, and he's saying fight. He says, fight the good fight of faith. And then he says, lay hold, lay hold of eternal life. Now, this idea here is, is a different verb tense. It's a, called the aorist, and it is a one-time completed action. And so rather than being habitual, you're the one that has to continually be intentional. Here, this is a one-time decisive action that has been given to you, and now it's yours to, uh, to let it filter through your life. And so here he says, lay hold, make this an ongoing reality. Make the reality that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, your truth. You are, you are a child of the king. You are a child of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our kingdom is eternal. 
It's not temporal like the world that we see. We enjoy the things around us, but ultimately we need to lay hold, make it a, make it a reality. It's a reality that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And here we have no continuing city, the author of Hebrews says. We seek the one to come. And that doesn't mean we, are, we deny uh, the, the, the world around us and don't enjoy the things that God gives to us, but ultimately our citizenship and our, our first priority is to the kingdom of God. And so those are the first four things in those two verses. How about verses 13 through 16? Paul continues and says, I urge you, there's another strong word, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. And so much like Timothy confessed in the presence of people, Jesus confesses in the presence of Pilate. He says that you keep, another strong word, keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. And keep this, again, a long obedience in the same direction, which he will manifest in his own time. And then it's almost as if Paul takes a right turn here and goes right into the Holy of Holies, and he forgets who he's talking to, and he just begins to extol and exalt his God and Savior. He says, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. And he says, he who is the blessed and only potentate, or he's the top of the heap, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, who, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. It's almost like he just gets caught up in this. Oh, he, he's talking about Jesus, and then he begins to just turn around and, and offer praises to God. He does this three times in the epistle. In chapter one, at the end of his um, of his um, testimony, how he was a sinner, he was once in darkness, and he was brought into God's marvelous light. He makes a right turn and starts to exalt God. And then in chapter three, after talking about the godly characters necessary for church leadership, he he does the same thing. He makes a right turn and he starts to exalt God. And so the idea of urging, here's the first thing he urges. This is is a military term. And so once again, Paul is using well-driven nails. He's really trying to make a point. He is saying, boy, you know what? I just told you before to flee and to pursue, to fight and lay hold. Now I'm encouraging, I'm urging you to hang on to the promises of God. So urge and urge to do what? Urge to keep. And keep here is uh, akin to a warden or a prison guard. When you think about a warden or a prison guard and how it's important for them to do their job because the welfare of the community rests on how well they do their job, here again, Paul is encouraging Timothy, you really want to be intentional about this. This is not a maybe or if I get to it. This is I am, t- I am urging you to keep. And to keep that, what does he say here? He says... Oh, I lost it. Here we go. Keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. And again, to to be repetitive, Paul says the same thing in 2 Timothy about Christ's appearing. Uh, In 2.12, he says, if we endure, we'll also reign with him. In 4.1, he says, the Lord Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and his kingdom. So here he is encouraging Timothy to keep a long obedience in the same direction. Verse 14 again, Keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. So he's got a kingdom vision. He's got a kingdom uh, imperative in mind, and that's the goal. The goal is to run the race to win. The goal is to marathon. The goal is to have the arc of your discipleship go up. Sometimes there's downs, uh, but the trend of your Christian walk should be continually upward. 
And that's what he's saying here. He's, he, as, as, as intentionally as he can, hey, look, this is not easy, but in the end, eternal life is, is worth more than any sacrifices or any difficulties you may face here on this earth. Keep the commandment. Keep the commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. And then, as I mentioned, he just goes into this praise, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Boy, what great words, huh? This is Paul's exaltation. All right, how about verses 17 through 19? Once again, we see some, we see some pointed words. Command those who are rich. Now, now he, he, he almost leaves uh, the talk about a long obedience in the same direction. And he begins to make a, a direct appeal to those who are rich in the community. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, this is a, an interesting contrast because if you remember last week, um, when Sean shared out at the beginning of chapter six, he, or at the end of chapter five, rather, he was, Paul is discussing uh, the idea of money in that chapter as well. If you go back to chapter, actually it was chapter six, I'm sorry. Chapter six and uh, in verse eight, he says, Have not, has, having food and clothing let, with, with these, let us be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. So now for whatever reason, Paul is not talking about people who desire to be rich. Now he's talking about people who already have riches. And the word rich here means happy, prosperous, those who lack nothing. So he's commanding, back to verse 17, he's commanding those who are rich in this present age to, to not do things and to do certain things. Not to be haughty. Uh, the word there is arrogant. You don't want to be haughty. When I read this, the first thing I thought about was Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, there's a story of a rich man. Let's pretend he's the CEO of NVIDIA right now. And I don't know if you hear, heard this week, NVIDIA is a, um, they, they've gotten in the ground floor on uh, artificial intelligence and their market cap reached $1 trillion this week. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of money when you think about it, isn't it? Yeah. But think about that. Imagine this, this CEO of, of uh, NVIDIA has hit a trillion dollars and, and much like this rich young ruler in Luke chapter 12, it's okay, I've made all this money rather than seek to give it to other people or to benefit the community or to save it for my offspring. I know what I'll do. I'm gonna think bigger. I'm gonna pull down my barns. I'm gonna pull down my fields and I'm gonna build bigger fields and make, uh, make bigger barns so that I can store more and more and more and more. And the end of the story goes, uh, Jesus says, that's not wise thing because that night of your, your, uh, your exuberance, your soul is required of you. And the moral of the story is, seek the things which are of God. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Enjoy the things that we've been given, but you never want to be presumptuous thinking that your money is going to save you or your money is always going to be there. I mean, certainly over the last 20 years, we have learned that as a culture, that there are booms, but there are also what? There are busts, yeah. So we want to be very, very circumspect. And rather than being consumers, 
which is being pushed on you 24 hours a day, seven days a week from every media outlet that you engage with. Rather than being consumers, we want to be stewards. We want to be stewards of what God has given to us because in the end, the ability to make wealth comes from him. The ability to collect wealth comes from him. And we want to remember that and be good stewards. So here's the, here's the story. Unfortunately, here's the attitude of this rich young ruler. I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns, build greater. There I'll store all my crops and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's a pretty presumptuous attitude, don't you think? And we, we, we certainly do not want to possess that. And here, coming back to the text, this is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to share with the church in Ephesus, is that I would assume there was wealth there. It, it was a port city. And I, I, so I assume that there was wealth there. And Paul is encouraging Timothy, we want to keep this in context. In verse 17, he says, not only don't be haughty, but don't trust in uncertainty. Now, if you leave out uh, the, the phrase, who gives us richly all things to enjoy, it changes everything. Look at the verse again. Look at verse 17. Command those who are rich uh, in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Now, if you stopped right there, it, to me, it changes things. But adding on who gives us richly all things to enjoy there, 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 Paul is saying, the things that we've been given, we should enjoy them. They're, they're given to us by God, but you want to have a proper perspective on them. Again, you want to be a steward and not a consumer, because in the end, it's God who gives us the ability to make wealth and to make, to make a living. So he says, don't trust in uncertainty. Rather, recognize the goodness of God and enjoy the things that God has given to you. And then as far as the do nots, now he transitions over to the do's. And he says in verse 18, he says, do good, be rich in good works, be willing to share and be kingdom focused. A long obedience in the same direction with our, with our stewardship of our finances and our possessions. And then finally, again, he returns to this idea that your citizenship is in heaven. He says, lay hold in verse 19, he says, lay hold on eternal life. Basically the same thing that he said in verse 12 to Timothy. He tells Timothy personally to, hang, to lay hold to eternal life. And now he encourages Timothy as the pastor to instruct uh, those in his church to, to lay hold of eternal life. In both cases, obviously there is, an inter, uh, there is an eternal focus in mind here. And then finally in verses 20 and 21, he says, Oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Oh, Timothy, I can, I can hear Paul saying it. I, I know in my mind sometimes <clears throat> I picture Paul as this um, uh, hard boss, this, this boss who has a singular vision and doesn't have a whole lot of patience for weakness and inefficiency around him or compromise. Uh, he's, just a, he's just a driver. He's a type A driver as a boss. And not so much, because you can see here, at least in this, uh, this epistle, firstly, he calls Timothy his son in chapter one. And now here, it's almost like, oh, Timothy, there's this tender and dear attitude that can be read between the lines of, of the words. And so Timothy was his, his son in the faith. And so here, as he's finishing his letter to him, he's just saying, Oh, I love you. I care about you. I care about you enough to remind you about the long obedience in the same direction. And here I am basically saying what I just said in the previous verses. He says, guard, 
Oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Now that's a banking term. Whether or not that's kind of a play on words from the idea of money in the verses previous, it's one still that we can understand. It's a banking term. We, we guard our passwords. We guard um, our, our phones. I, oh my gosh, a, a quick tangent. I'll tell you a, a good story about the good nature of people. I had jury duty a couple of, years, a couple of weeks ago and I'm on the, on the trolley coming home and I had a hoodie on that has shallow pockets and I had my phone in my pocket and when I got up, the, the, the trolley lurched a little bit and I got out and as soon as the doors closed, you know how you go, you reach for your, or reach for your wallet or your phone and I just watched my phone go right up to UTC and I didn't know what to do. I was so mad at myself for, for what I did. I couldn't believe that I would be that. I'm still, I don't get, I still couldn't believe I did it. But um, I came home and, and after Greta kind of talked me off the ledge, um, <laughs> we, we started thinking and I realized, well, you know, there's some kind of a chip in that will tell me where it is. And so I got online and I sourced it and it was at Old Town and it wasn't moving. So I thought, gosh, maybe it's at the trolley station down there. So sure enough, I called the security office down there and I talked to somebody and there it was. It was somebody had returned it. Somebody picked him up on the, on the trolley and returned it. So you know what? Human nature, it's, it's okay. Yeah, I love, every, I love everybody. Yeah, so, so here it is in the flesh, yes. So will someone keep an eye on me for the next hour so that I don't... Gosh, because think about, I mean, really, in reality, think about how much is on this. And that's why I was so mad at myself. It's like, well, just here, here's, here's all my money. Just, just take it, you know? So anyway, coming back to this, this idea of guarding, it's a, it's a banking term. What, what is Timothy encouraged to guard? Guard what was committed to your trust, whether that's his personal relationship with Jesus or the responsibility that he has to the church in Ephesus. These are serious words. These are serious words because... Our, our kingdom is one that, that matters uh, to the utmost. The, the kingdom of God is, is the, should be not the sole priority, but the kingdom of God should be the prevailing priority in our lives. So he says, guard what was entrusted to you. And then he says, avoid. Again, uh, almost like flee and pursue. He says, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And we've seen that Paul's been very articulate about explaining poor doctrine and poor teachers and poor motives through this epistle. And so he, again, is reminding Timothy to avoid these things. Avoid what's worldly or profane. Avoid the idle, babbling, empty chatter that doesn't end anywhere when it comes to the things of God. And then the things that are contradictory to sound doctrine. And I put the word antithesis there that's the Greek word that we have imported into our English vocabulary. So those things that are an antithesis to the truth of God and, and, the, and the veracity or the truth of his word, we should avoid those things. A long obedience in the same direction. And then finally, he talks about, unfortunately, those that may have strayed. He says, uh, by professing it, the, uh, the, the profane, idle babblings and contradictions, by professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. And so strayed there means to not reach the goal. Somewhere along this long obedience, there, are, there were individuals who got their, their minds on other things, their eyes focused on other things, and unfortunately, they, they didn't run the marathon successfully. They didn't run to win. And so straying is those things which lead to error in life. And for us, we want to flee youthful lusts. We want to flee things that we know are sin, don't have anything to do with it. Be a fugitive and pursue 
righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Make these habitual things in our lives, and then we can avoid straying from the truth and, stray, uh, and, and getting caught up in the things which lead to error in life. And then to finish it off, and just looking and surveying Timothy relative to, to this straying, uh, some of the results of the long obedience of fleeing from sin and pursuing sound doctrine are things that, that Paul mentions here. In chapter 1, um, by, by fleeing youthful lusts and pursuing righteousness and godliness, we can avoid idle talk that confuses. We can avoid shipwreck. Hymenaeus and Alexander, if you remember, uh, they left sound doctrine and they suffered shipwreck. We can avoid opening ourselves to deception. We can avoid discipline as a result of ungodly behavior. We can avoid theological contention and moral corruption. And then lastly, we can avoid being pierced with sorrows, as he says in chapter 6 a long obedience in the same direction. But the beauty is God's given you the car. He started the engine. He's placed you in the seat. He's given you a roadmap and he just says, go that way. And he gives, you, he gives us all the power and the ability to live Christ-like lives. He's changed us inside. He's changed us, taken us from spiritual death to spiritual life. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let that experience, let that position rather, let your experience conform to that position. Know your identity in Christ. Know how he thinks about you. Know what he says about you. Because the culture and your mind and the world is trying to conform you into its image. And it's very, very persuasive and very persistent. But here God is saying, no, be transformed. As you allow the Holy Spirit to take more and more ground in your life, as you yield to that, you will, be, you will be transformed so that you can know that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your lives. A long obedience in the same direction. Let's stay on track and let's encourage those around us to stay on track. Lord, thank you so much for this, these parting words that Paul offers to Timothy. Uh, I'm sure they, they were good medicine for him. Um, I'm sure in the midst of his challenges and struggles, uh, Paul being there and sending him a letter had to be encouraging and supportive. Uh, we are the ones also who are beneficiaries of this letter as we walk through it over the last several months. We um, are so thankful for the power of the word, Thank you, thankful that there were many um, topics and subjects in these six chapters that were very relevant to our lives today. Um, thank you that this is your love letter to us, Lord. May we continue to recognize that uh, we want to seek things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let your mind, let our minds dwell on heavenly things, for we died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. Thank you that you've imparted us with this power to run the race to win. In Jesus' name, amen.